Okay, we're in Genesis 41 this morning. And the book of Psalms tells us, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. All the patriarchs of old experienced affliction in their journey with the Lord, and none more than Joseph. You'll remember Joseph was favored by his father, but envied and hated by his brothers and sold into, into slavery. That happened when he was only 17 years old. He was then falsely accused by his master's wife, and he ends up in prison. After interpreting a dream that profited Pharaoh's cupbearer, he's then promptly forgotten again and left to pine in prison for two more years. But in all these situations, the Lord delivered, he preserved Joseph. He became the chief steward in Potiphar's house, the chief jailer in the prison house, and now this story conveys to us he will become the prime minister in Pharaoh's house, the king of Egypt. And every step of the way brings Joseph a little bit closer to the mission God has planned for him. We come to chapter 14 in our story. This is 13 years after Joseph went down into Egypt, and he's about 30 years old. I wonder if he was still thinking about those dreams he had when his parents would bow down to him along with his brothers. It doesn't seem likely that he would have forgotten about that dream, although he may have been wondering how in the world it would be fulfilled if he's languishing in prison. He knows he still has a gift of interpreting divine revelations, as we learn from chapter 40. And perhaps he hopes now that as he's told the cupbearer what would happen to him, it turns out to be good, that somehow Pharaoh would get him out of prison. However, God always places his people in the right place at the right time to fulfill his purposes. And the time wasn't right yet for Joseph to be delivered. From slavery to prison to palace, God has been preparing Joseph for the pivotal events of Genesis chapter 41. Now, none of us today will be as famous and powerful as Joseph was in his day. None of us will be given a task as momentous as his. However, all of us can be as faithful to God as he was. All of us can endure affliction as God works his plan out in our lives. All of us can use the gifts and talents received by God to use for his will and his purposes. And all of us can reveal to the lost world the message that leads to salvation. So let's see what we can learn from this chapter in God's word today. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for your word, for these great stories of old that teach us so much about our walk with you. We're thankful, Lord, for the life of Joseph, whom you used to uh, physically save that part of the world from perishing during time of famine thousands of years ago. And yet, Lord, it is still relevant to us today. So help us, Lord, to focus upon what you would like to teach us this morning and be obedient to it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, the first thing I want you to see here as we look at this passage this morning is God's purpose cannot be discerned by human means. Let's take a look at this strange dream that Pharaoh had, and God used uh, Joseph to help him figure out its meaning. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows, so Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. So God gives Pharaoh this disturbing dream. And let's remember again how young Joseph is in his life. He's passed 13 years in slavery and in prison, starting out only when he's 17 years old. So there's lessons here for our young people today. Now he's about 30. All right, and the Lord's been preparing him for this period of time. Even in those adverse circumstances, he has honed uh, the administrative skills of Joseph, his people skills, his economic skills, and now he is uh, preparing him for a much greater ministry. Now, Pharaoh's dream comes in two parts that have the same meaning. Now, we have seen that God has spoken to the patriarchs and political rulers through the means of dreams, but this one is not easily discerned because God does not speak in it. Now, first of all, Pharaoh sees these seven and good, healthy-looking cows, exactly what you would expect in that part of the world in that day, because uh, the Nile River Delta uh, overflows its banks every year, and it provides abundant food for animal life as well as human life. But all of a sudden, as he sees this dream, there are sickly, extremely thin cows that appear, and they eat up the healthy cows. So that's not a good thing. And this so startles him that he wakes up. Now, have you ever had a dream uh, in which you were afraid something was happening uh, that you didn't like and all of a sudden you woke up? Or sometimes maybe you're having a bad dream, you know you're dreaming and you're trying to wake up and you can't. Well, maybe this is what's going on in Pharaoh. Well, finally he falls back to sleep and the dream continues, but now he sees a different object. He sees these seven plump and good heads of grain, uh, something every farmer wants to see as harvest time comes. And of course, that was a staple product in, in really every country of the world in that day. But then he sees these seven thin and dried up heads of grain sprout up, and they overtake the others. And this thing bothers him. We see the effects of the dream in verses 7 and 8. Or, excuse me, verse 8. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream, 
but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. All right, so he's got a negative effect from this. He's deeply troubled in his spirit. He can't figure out what's going on. He's perplexed. He doesn't understand. And in ancient times, if you had a dream like this, especially if you were an Egyptian, you would think that this was a message from the gods. They were polytheistic. And probably you would think it had a bad omen. But you can't figure out what it all means. Now, in the land of Egypt, there were a group of people uh, that were in the court of Pharaoh, and they were called magicians and wise men, and they were there for the purpose of interpreting this kind of thing going on in the king's life. According to Kyle and Dalish, he says, the magicians were men of the priestly caste who occupied themselves with the sacred arts and sciences of the Egyptians the hieroglyphic writings, astrology, the interpretation of dreams, the foretelling of events, magic, and conjuring, and they were regarded as the possessors of secret arts and the wise men of the nation. Now, everything that's mentioned there is really kind of a pagan origin, but they were viewed as being gifted by the gods. And so the first people that Pharaoh calls to help him out here is this group of men. But as he recites the dream to them, they also, as wise as they seem to be, are incapable of giving an interpretation. God did not speak in this dream, so the figures he used could not be understand or understood by Pharaoh's uh, counselors. In order to interpret divine revelation, you have to have a relationship with the one true God who gives it to you. The Lord is revealing his purpose, but ungodly people cannot perceive it. Now, as the story unfolds here, we find out, as Joseph is brought into the picture, that God uses his people to reveal his purpose and plans. Now, we don't have to do it through dreams anymore. We have the written word of God. But back then, people needed help. So Joseph, then, is remembered at exactly the right time. Look at verse 9. Then the chief butler, you'll remember this is the cupbearer, responsible for making sure nobody poisoned the drink of Pharaoh in his household. Uh, He... Here's all this going on, and in verse 9, he says, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, that's Joseph a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us to each man he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened, he restored me to my office, and he hanged him. So, um, uh, the chief butler is reminded of what happened. His senses are jolted. He had forgotten totally about uh, uh, Joseph, but now he remembers. Uh, He's there at the court seeing the proceedings, 
And he remembers his faults. That's the same word as the word offended back in chapter 40, verse 1. So it's talking about something he did wrong. And he realizes that he wronged Pharaoh and he wronged Joseph by not remembering that and trying to get Joseph out of prison. But again, the Lord is providential over all these things. He can't get out of prison at the wrong time. Who knows what might have happened if he had done that. So he tells Pharaoh about uh, the dream that he had and the baker had. Everything comes true. And the person who interpreted for them was another uh, a person in prison, a slave, a Hebrew. And uh, uh, again, how often do we see this happening in stories in God's word? God providentially places the right person in the right place at the right time. So it reminds us of the need we have today to be patient under times of trial and difficulty and see what the Lord has in store for us. Now, as the story proceeds here, God begins to reveal his purpose through Joseph, beginning in verse 14. And everything now is going to take place fairly rapidly. First of all, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, chased his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. All right, so Joseph is then uh, pulled out of prison. He is shaved, and and according to look more like an Egyptian, that would have included shaving your head as well as your beard. He's given clothing that would be suitable to stand before Pharaoh, and then he comes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asks him or or inquires of him about these things that uh, he is able to interpret dreams. Now, Joseph's response is important here in verse 16. He answers Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now remember, the Egyptians believed in all kinds of gods. Almost everything in the land was somehow related to a god. There was a frog god, and there was a cat god, and there was all kinds of gods in the land. But this term, God is the term that means the mighty one or the almighty. It's obviously the God of of, uh, Joseph and the Hebrews. And the king is now going to be confronted with the one true God. And the first word that he actually states in the Hebrew text is the word God. So that kind of erases uh, everything that's taken place up to this point because the, uh, the, uh, the magicians who would have uh, tried to get in touch with the so-called gods could not do it. So Joseph says, God, not me, will give Pharaoh an answer of peace or the correct answer to this whole situation. So the, uh, the first thing that he says to Pharaoh is God. Now, look down at the end of the section to verse 32 as this whole thing comes together and he's done interpreting the dream. He ends in the same way. He says, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by 
God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. So Pharaoh, whom the people would have believed was a descendant of the gods, who couldn't figure this stuff out, is confronted with the one true God who can figure it out, and Pharaoh's got to make a decision based upon that revelation. So he starts with God, he ends with God, and Pharaoh's got to do something here in relationship to what is revealed to him by God. So uh, uh, one thing I want to share with you that I read Those whom God calls to special service must make it a point to inform the unbelieving world that any success or ability that they have comes from God. When they explain God's revelation to the world, they must confront the world with God. Just like Joseph did, the servants are not greater than the master. So uh, Joseph does not take credit for himself. He gives that credit to God who makes it possible for him to interpret this dream. Now, in verse 17, Pharaoh repeats the dream. And that's important because he says down in verse 32 that it's repeated. It comes in a twofold way, discussing the cows and the wheat, because it's something that is surely going to happen. God has already put it in place, and he's being gracious by telling you about it now. So, Pharaoh says, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in the land of Egypt. So he kind of embellishes the dream because he's so stunned about how poorly these cows look, and he's never seen this in all of his life in the history of Egypt. So he's emphasizing on the badness, on the evil of what uh, he sees. And then in verse 20, the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, he adds here the idea, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. So nothing changes. It seems like, well, they would get all fat and great because they just had a nice big meal, but nothing happened. So again, uh, the the uh, the negative uh interpretation is being brought out. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then, behold, seven heads were withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. The thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. All right. So again, we have the idea here that the people who were supposed to be wise and who were supposed to give an interpretation of this kind of thing are unable to do it. Uh, and, in, and in verses 30 to 31, he saw, highlights the severity of the famine, which was highly unusual for this area of the world because the Nile River uh, flows uh, to this area. It floods in the spring. And usually famine was not a problem for Egypt, although it wasn't unknown. But to have a seven-year famine, that would have been highly 
uncommon. And we've already seen previous stories, Abraham as well as Isaac head toward Egypt in a time of famine. And so this sets the stage for Jacob's future sojourn as the story continues in the next chapter. So God's plan can only be discerned by God's faithful people. In his grace, the Lord prepared Joseph to be at the right place at the right time so that God's will might be conveyed to Pharaoh. The Lord's ultimate plan is to save his own people as well as preserve the land of Egypt during this terrible time. Now, we come to verse 33. Uh, Incidentally, uh, 25 through uh, 32, Joseph uh, explains what the dream is. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has graciously shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven uh, uh, good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. The seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Oh my goodness, climate change. But who's in charge of the climate? (laughs) God is. God's going to allow this to happen, but he's warning them ahead of time because it will be devastating and he wants to preserve them. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete the land. And he goes on to say, so the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So God is being gracious and letting this uh, be made known to Pharaoh. And again, God uses Joseph to bring this to his understanding. And we come to verse 33. God uses his people to fulfill his plans. It's one thing to be able to discern or understand God's purpose and what he's going to do. It's another thing to be involved in carrying out that plan. And Joseph was used now to implement a plan that he wisely devised that God will use to save the world in a physical sense. All right, he divulges this plan to Pharaoh in verses 33 to 35. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So God has uh, good prepared for them, but they've got to follow the plan. 
Plan is put somebody who's wise and discerning in charge of all of this. Then select some uh, officers who are trustworthy and they'll collect one-fifth of the produce of the good years. 20% tax flat rate. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Anyways, no matter if you had 10 acres or 1,000 acres, 20% was to be stored away for future use. That's always a wise thing to do, uh, even in modern times. And so at the end of the seven plenty years, when the famine begins to set in, there's going to be produce for people to live on. Okay, so is this a good idea or not? It all depends on what Pharaoh is going to do now. Will the world be saved or will it not? Well, we find here that Pharaoh wisely appoints Joseph to implement his plan in verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? So, everybody hears the plan. This is a great idea. And uh, they see that Joseph probably is more qualified than anybody to carry it out because he's the one through whom the plan came. And Pharaoh recognizes the hand of the mighty God, the almighty God, not any of his Egyptian gods as being the one through this, uh, through whom all this came about. And he perceives that the spirit of God is operating in Joseph. And he's forced to see that Joseph God has done what his magicians could not do. And he admits that God has shown all this to Joseph and he's qualified to carry out everything. Now, it's very unlikely that Pharaoh had a full conception of what he was saying here. He was polytheistic, and almost everything's associated with a false god in that day, but he's seeing, obviously, that there's something highly supernatural going on in the life of Joseph Joseph has said that this is his God revealing this and working this. And so he wisely recognizes that truth and he acts upon it, unlike the future Pharaoh of the Exodus. Now, Joseph then is officially placed in command of Pharaoh's house. From the prison house to Pharaoh's house, the highest house in the whole land. And only the king will be greater in power. All right, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So the Lord allowed Joseph to be taken into slavery at 17 years of age. That was a bad situation. But he ended up being in charge of Potiphar's house in that slavery. That was a good situation. From there, though, he was thrown into prison. 
another bad circumstance, but the Lord blessed him and he became the uh, head over the prison. And now Joseph has been taken out of the prison and placed in charge of the greatest household in the land. God has taken Joseph from prison to palace that he might fulfill God's purpose. Joseph now has a new status in Egypt. Uh, he can't perceive to be as a Hebrew slave, so a lot of changes have to take place. And so we have described for us his new authority in verse 42. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And that signet ring gave him authority to purchase and acquire anything he needed to do his job. Then he was given this uh, set of clothing, which would have been royal linen and a gold chain, which would have, again, depicted his high status. He also, in verse 43, he, he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee, so he set him over all the land of Egypt. The second chariot signifies he's second in command. He's like a modern day prime minister would be. So there's nobody who is over this man except for the king himself. And he states this again in verse 44. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh gives him another name, and he gives him a wife. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paaneah. Now, wouldn't you like that name? Hey, Zaph, what are you doing today? Well, um, that name, uh, we're not fully sure what it means, but the idea it kind of is that, that, um, that God speaks and God does. Kind of that idea there. Um, and then he gives him a wife. Her name is Aznath. She's the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Uh, so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now that does not infer that Joseph became a worshiper of the false gods. He wasn't sucked into his environment, into his into Egyptian culture, uh, like his brother Judah was in the Canaanite culture. He did stay separate from, from that, as we'll see as he names his two sons. But for some reason, God allows him to be married to this Egyptian uh, uh, kind of priestess. And uh, through her, uh, the two half-tribes come from Joseph, and they have a significant role to play in the future of Israel. So God has allowed all of this kind of thing uh, to happen. Now, Joseph, as we come to verse 50 does not abandon his heritage. As he's in this position, he goes about doing his job and doing it well. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So a young man, a wise man, uh, one whom God has blessed, even though he's gone through these times of hardship, Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh. He went throughout all the land of Egypt. 
Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. So that just shows how God blessed during those seven years. You couldn't even keep track of all the bushels of grain that came in. And uh, then in verse 50, we have a little information about his family and the two sons that are born in Egypt. And that Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Aznath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Now, I read something interesting about Azanath. Apparently, in the time of Pliny, uh, a story was written about Azanath and Joseph. And in that story, it tells about her conversion to Yahweh worship. Now, we don't know if that story was true or not, if it was based on fact. But we do know that he had two sons, and he named them in relationship to what happened in his life as he was in Egypt, and this shows us that he is trusting the Lord all this time. He's not turning to the ways of Egypt. So in verse 54, the seven, uh, excuse me, verse um, uh, uh, 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So Manasseh the name has something to do with the past, the events in his life that weren't all that great. And the change of circumstances in his life has helped him put away the bad events. He was, was not treated well by his brothers, uh, but he's not going to dwell on that. He's not going to let that ruin his life or control his thinking. He's risen above that through the grace of God, And he's really not forgotten the promise of God because God promised to be with his father, his grandfather, his great father, uh, a grandfather. And now he's proven he's with him as well, even through these difficult circumstances, which he can set aside, he can set behind. Then his second son is named Ephraim. And that is because God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So again, God brings good things out of bad things. God has caused him to be fruitful in this land in spite of the difficulties that he went through. And fruitfulness is an aspect of God's covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we've seen how Joseph prospered in every situation by trusting God and doing his best. Now he's in the highest place he could possibly be other than the, whole, the, the king of Egypt. The last paragraph conveys to us God's purpose to preserve Egypt, and this purpose is now complete. Well, verse 53 Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. 
So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. So again, he's trusting Joseph to carry out this plan that's worked out just like he said. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe even in the land of Egypt, something they had not experienced in their history. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the land. So this chapter becomes the turning point, not only for the life of Joseph, but the preservation of the world at that time. And it sets the stage now for Jacob and his family to come down and get food in Egypt, a reconciliation of that family, the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams, and the deliverance of Israel from famine as well. So God's plan continued to move forward as he brought Joseph out of a prison into a palace. Well, there's a lot of ways that we can make application of this story in modern times. Let me share a few of them with you. First of all, God is sovereign over the nations. Whether they recognize that or bow to it or not. Governments can make their plans for progress, but they're powerless to carry them out without the providence of God. Those who seek to recognize his workings and submit to his will are going to be blessed. But those who will uh, not will eventually be cursed, even the United States of America. Incidentally, again, who is in control of the climate through this whole story? They weren't a whole lot worried about carbon emissions in those days. <laughs> but it doesn't make a lot of difference. God's the one who's in control. Secondly, God works out his plan in his people, in his, faith, in his faithful people, through his people. Before Joseph came into a position of power and influence, he went through some bad experiences, didn't he? But he didn't blame God. He wasn't bitter, and he didn't give up. He continually uh, and faithfully served God until uh, God elevated him to fulfill his ultimate purpose. And this serves to remind us that before the crown, before uh, the glory comes the cross. Suffering precedes glory. Good things come out of bad things. What was true in Joseph's life was true in Christ's life when he was on this earth, and it will be true in our lives if we're faithful to the Lord. Then God gives his people for uh, his glory and the fulfillment of his purposes. <clears throat> Again, Joseph didn't take credit for the spiritual insight he had to interpret this dream of Pharaoh. He gave God the glory for his wisdom and discernment. So we should be humble and thankful for God's spiritual gifts to us as well. And then, even pagan Pharaoh recognized the spiritual and supernatural working of God in the life of Joseph. So, do lost people see God working in our lives? 
Can they recognize that the Spirit of God is producing fruit within us? The Bible also says, He that is faithful in least is faithful also in much. Joseph began as a shepherd boy, helping his older brothers in the field. Each stage of his life increased his experience, his wisdom, his humility, and his endurance, and prepared him for greater service in the future. And you young people ought to take that to heart. God gives you small tasks to do. You do them faithfully. He gives you a bigger task later on. And finally, we have to remember that we have the opportunity every day to submit to God's purpose and plan for us and his kingdom. So are we concerned about fulfilling his purpose or our own in life? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this great story in the Old Testament. We're thankful for the many things, Lord, that it teaches us. We're thankful, Lord, that it shows us you're sovereign over all things. It shows us, Lord, that you choose the right person at the right time to, to complete your will. And that we need to be patient as we're used of you to do that. Lord, it shows us many other things uh, that we uh, need to remember to help us in our walk with you. Lord, help us to realize that although we're going to face many difficulties and afflictions here, that you will deliver them out of, the, out of them all if we will put our faith and trust in you. Bless our hearts with these thoughts this morning, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Mm-hmm.